All right, all right. What is up, people? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Lots of stuff going on today. Lots of stuff going on every day. But I'll tell you one. It's not all negative news here. <clears throat> in one of the most liberal, chaotic cities in the United States, which we know is San Francisco, something good is happening. Parents are standing up, man. Man, you know, if they can do it in San Francisco, they can do it anywhere, right? So San Francisco had a whole lot of crazy stuff going on during this whole shutdown for COVID and everything. Well, the parents got fed up in San Francisco. Now, why it takes the most liberal place in America for this to spark off first is beyond me. But if they can do it in San Francisco, they can do it anywhere. What happened was the, the parents got together and they voted out recall election three school board members three san francisco school board members were removed from their positions by voters on tuesday following a tough recall campaign that pitted democrats against democrats or as i like to call it moderate americans versus extreme crazy ass liberals as interlocking controversies over school closings and renamings fueled a well-funded backlash the successful effort in one of the country's most liberal cities is likely to embolden Republicans who have channeled parental anger over school reopenings and mask mandates into a powerful wedge issue, including last fall in Virginia. For Democrats, especially those making decisions in blue states, the vote highlighted internal division over how to handle the pandemic as cases decline, but the threat of another surge looms. More than 70% that's a landslide. More than 70% of the voters supported the recall of school board president Gabriel Lopez, vice president Fauga Moliga, and commissioner Allison Collins. As of Wednesday morning, according to preliminary results from the San Francisco Department of Elections, their temporary replacements will be named by Mayor London Breed. Now, now that, that's where we're getting in trouble, is the mayor is going to you know, name their temporary replacements. But... It's a first step. It's definitely a first step. Anyways, Mayor London Breed, a Democrat who is announcing her support for the recall last year, said the city was at a crossroads and called the board's priorities severely misplaced. Okay, the important thing about this, this is the most important thing, is to realize that when parents have had enough of the bullshit, they can they can recall these uh, these school board administrators, president of the school board, vice president. They can, they, you can make a difference. <clears throat> the problem that I see here is, are you going to sit back on your ass and wait till it gets as bad as San Francisco before you do anything? Like how bad does it have to get before you stand up and do something? You need to move now. It is possible. It can be done, but let's don't let it get like San Francisco around here in your home city, community, county, before you stand up and do something. Get out there, make it happen. It can happen. It's amazing. And it's amazing that it happened in San Francisco. So that is the first ounce of new, of, of, of good news regarding these insane teachers, insane, illogical mandates that have been going on in school districts. And San Francisco said, enough is enough. And with this coming down the pike, you know, it really makes you stop and think that there is a silent, there's a silent majority out there that's underneath the radar especially in a city like San Francisco, there's still a group of people out there. Now, whether they, 
Now, this appeared to be a battle of Democrats versus Democrats, but what it looks to me as if it was moderate Democrats versus extremely liberal Democrats. And there is, like I've said before, even in San Francisco, there's that big swath of the country that is actually moderate, that doesn't want anything to do with the extremist militant liberal agenda. Now, a lot of this controversy sparked over many things that was going on in the school district. First off, they wanted to remove Abraham Lincoln, school names, George Washington, Paul Revere, and they wanted to replace it with Dianne Feinstein because she was the the mayor of Frisco in 1984, I believe it was. And that, that created a lot of outrage from a lot of these parents where they wanted to just take all these names away of these schools because, you know, the woke movement, you got to be woke, got to change them school names, son. And um, it, it just didn't fly. In these, and the biggest controversy was them not reopening up the schools. Uh, San Francisco was really dragging its feet about opening up schools. And they, um, in fact, there was the CEO of Levi, Levi Jeans, that stepped down out of her position over the schools in San Francisco because she started getting political about it. She started talking about it, uh, the uproar, and she had to step down from her position. In fact, hold on, let me see. I think I, I believe I have an audio quote for her. Hang on. I mean, I'm surprised it was this decisive. I mean, it was 70-30. So, you know, that is surprising to me. And the reason it's surprising is I was outspoken about school closures in San Francisco since March of 2020. And I certainly felt like I was in the significant minority. But what this says to me is that there was a silent majority of parents that were incredibly frustrated, outraged that schools were closed for seven months. And and they showed up and they voted in the special election to recall in a really, truly decisive manner. And I think this is causing people to rethink party alignment. You know, for me, it's not even about party. I, I'm going to vote for candidates that support the causes that I care about. Word. You know, Jennifer Say is an interesting person. Uh, I'm going to go back to her blog from four days ago. Because four days ago, she just quit working for Levi Strauss. And, and let me give you a little bit of her backstory. Uh, this is from her blog. It says, my tenure at Levi's began as an assistant marketing manager in 1999. A few months after my 13th birthday, as the years passed, I saw the company through every trend. I was marketing director for the U.S. by the time skinny jeans had become the rage. I was the chief marketing officer when high waist came into vogue. I eventually became the global brand president in 2020, the first woman to hold this post and somehow low rises back. She's talking about the jeans because she worked for Levi's, in case you didn't catch that. Over my two decades at Levi's, I got married. I had two kids. I got divorced. I had two more kids. I got married again. The company has been the most consistent thing in my life. And until recently, I have always felt encouraged to bring my full self to work, including my political advocacy. That advocacy is always focused on kids. In 2008, when I was vice president of marketing, I published a memoir about my time as an elite gymnast that focused on the dark side of the sport, specifically the degradation of children. The gymnastics community threatened me with legal action and violence. Former competitors, teammates, and coaches dismissed my story as that of a bitter loser just trying to make a buck. They called me a grifter and a liar, but Levi stood by me. More than that, they embraced me as a hero. Well, Things changed when COVID hit. Early on in the pandemic, I publicly questioned whether schools had to be shut down. This didn't seem at all controversial to me. I felt, and still do, 
that the draconian policies would cause the most harm to those least at risk, and the burden would fall heaviest on disadvantaged kids in public schools who need the safety and routine of school the most. She wrote, Op-eds appeared on local news shows, attended meetings with the mayor's office, organized rallies, and pleaded on social media to get the schools open. She was condemned for speaking out. This time, she was called a racist. A strange accusation given that I have two black sons and a QAnon conspiracy theorist. In the summer of 2020, I finally got the call. And I quote, You know, when you speak on behalf of the company, our head of corporate communications told me, urging me to pipe down, I responded, My title is not in my Twitter bio. I'm speaking as a public school mom of four kids. But the calls kept coming from legal, from HR, from a board member, and finally from my boss, the CEO of the company. I explained, so I guess she wasn't the CEO. I misspoke earlier. Apologies. But she was the global head, global head of marketing, though. I explained why I felt so strongly about the issue, citing data on the safety of our schools and the harms caused by virtual learning. While they didn't try to muzzle me outright, I was told repeatedly to think about what I was saying. Meantime, colleagues posted nonstop about the need to oust Trump in the November election. I also shared my support for Elizabeth Warren in the Democratic primary and my great sadness about the racially instigated murders of Hamad Arbery and George Floyd. No one objected to any of that at the company. And see, that's the, okay, this is me giving my opinion here. I'm stepping away from this article. And that's what's going on nationwide. Like, you're allowed to stand up, you're allowed to say something as long as it aligns with the political beliefs of the company, as long as it doesn't align with the conservative point of view. The problem she has is she started speaking out about the schools, which was a conservative issue. You know, that was on the conservative side of the aisle. Just like Justin Trudeau, you know, he supported the BLM marches in Ottawa, Canada, all over Canada. That wasn't a problem. It's only a problem when truckers park their trucks and they start, uh, you know, protesting about the mask mandate are basically pr protesting against the government that it becomes a problem. Anyways, let me get back to this article. Meantime, colleagues, colleagues, okay, blah, blah, blah. Let me fast forward. Then in October 2020, when it was clear public schools were not going to open that fall, I proposed to the company leadership that we weigh in on the topic of school closures in our city, San Francisco. We often take a stand on political issues that impact our employees. We've spoken out on gay rights, voting rights, gun safety, and more. The response this time was different. From the higher-ups, they said, we don't weigh in on hyper-local issues like this. At least that's what she was told. She was also told there's a lot of potential negatives if we speak up strongly, starting with the numerous execs who have kids in private schools in the city. Well, she refused to stop talking. I kept calling out hypocritical and unproven policies. I met with the mayor's office and eventually uprooted my entire life in California. I'd lived there for 30 years, and she moved her family to Denver so that my kindergartner could finally experience real school. We were able to secure a spot for him in a dual-language immersion Spanish-English public school like the one he was supposed to be attending in San Francisco. 
National media picked up on our story, and I was asked to go on Laura Ingram's show on Fox, Fox News. That appearance was the last straw. The comments from Levi's employees picked up about me being anti-science, about me being anti-fat, because apparently she retweeted a study showing the correlation between obesity and poor health outcomes with COVID. Uh, they started talking about her being anti-trans because she tweeted that we shouldn't ditch Mother's Day for birthing people's day because it left out adoptive and stepmoms. And that's a good point. And they started talking about her being racist because San Francisco's public school system was filled with black and brown kids. And apparently I didn't care if they died. They all they also castigated me for my husband's COVID views as if I as his wife, were responsible for the things he said on social media. All this drama took place at our regular town halls, a company-wide meeting I had looked forward to but now dreaded. Meantime, the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the company asked that I do an apology tour. I was told that the main complaint against me was that I was not a friend of the black community at Levi's. Now remember, she has two black kids. I was told to say that I am an imperfect ally, and she refused to do that apology to her. The fact that I had been asked back in 2017 to be the executive sponsor of the Black Employee Resource Group by two black employees didn't matter. The fact that I fought for kids for years didn't matter. That I was just citing facts didn't matter. The head of HR told me personally that even though I was right about the schools, that it was classist and racist that public schools stayed shut while private schools were open. And that I was probably right about everything else. HR said she shouldn't say so. And I kept thinking, why shouldn't I? In the fall of 2021, during a dinner with the CEO, I was told that I was on track to become the next CEO of Levi's. The stock price had doubled under my leadership and revenue had returned to pre-pandemic levels. The only thing standing in my way, he said, was me. All I had to do was stop talking about the school thing. But the attacks wouldn't stop. Anonymous trolls on Twitter, some with nearly half a million followers, said people should boycott Levi's until I had been fired. So did some of my old gymnastic fans. They called the company Ethics Hotline and sent emails. Every day, a dossier of my tweets and all of the online interactions were sent to the CEO by the head of corporate communications. At one meeting of the executive leadership team, the CEO made an offhanded remark that I was acting like Donald Trump. I felt embarrassed and turned my camera off to collect myself. In the last month, the CEO told me that it was attainable for me to stay. I was offered a $1 million severance package, but I knew I'd have to sign a non-disclosure agreement about why I'd been pushed out. The money would be very nice, but I just can't do it. Sorry, Levi's. She turned down the $1 million severance package and quit on her own terms. And now she's speaking out more, more so publicly. But she basically got pushed out of the Levi's corporation uh, because of her viewpoints and mainly because of school. And it's amazing to me how many labels got labeled on her, racist, all this other kind of transphobic because of her comment on Mother's Day, which is a very valid point. You know, the, the community, the trans community was trying to move it from Mother's Day to birthing, birthing, what was it, birthing something day, 
that was non-gender specific. Uh, but the birthers, uh, that would rule out stepmoms, adoptive moms, that kind of stuff like that. She, so she, she just made a simple comment about that. It's going to rule out all these other mom roles that are out there if you go by that name. And so because of that, she was transphobic. Anyway, Jennifer Say, interesting character. I wonder if she's I wonder if she's prepping to get involved in politics. It wouldn't surprise me if she is. It sounds like somebody that's kind of moving in that direction. Well, anyways, let's keep an eye on her. Jennifer Say, uh, she has a blog. She has all kinds of stuff going on. Seems like a pretty cool person, but she stood up for her beliefs and she got out of Levi. She wasn't going to get it, let Levi shut her down. But it's it's that it's the hypocrisy of you're allowed to be political. It's just what are you being political about? You know, that's that's what it's boiling down to. And if you're being political with anything that kind of leans to one side of the aisle that the company doesn't agree with, you're in trouble. It's pathetic. It's pathetic, but it's. Discrimination resolution, discrimination resolution, the CRT deal. Because it's, it's happening, and as a parent, I speak to other parents, there's a few things that we don't want. I'm biracial, I'm bilingual, I'm multicultural. The fact is, in America, in North Carolina, I can do anything I want, and I teach that to my children. And the person who tells my little pecan-colored kids that they're somehow oppressed based on the color of their skin would be absolutely wrong and absolutely at war with me. And I think that's the same for every parent. What the mask showed us is that the parents, the most powerful group of people in our country, that they're taking back the wheel. Now, obviously, we had to take the wheel back for the mask, but we're taking the wheel back from Washington all the way to Raleigh and into our local school board because CRT, all of that, the parents don't want it. It's a big fat lie. There's not one. If there if you believe in CRT, I want to tell you you're a liar because that means you look at your black neighbor and say that they're oppressed. And you look at your white neighbor and say that they're evil, regardless of the experience that you've had with them. And we're not going to do that. The parents in the United States of America right here in North Carolina and Cabarrus County, we know that's not true because we believe the lives we live. The fact is, I've been a business owner right here in North Carolina, and I deal with white people, black people, Hispanic people. My children deal with everybody. And the racism is only happening at the government level and on the media. The fact is, you have racists, and there's like, you can't even find them hardly. You just hear the stories about them. But this is, this is what we're dealing with. The parents are taking the wheel. I have an eight-year-old daughter who is absolutely dynamic, who can do anything athletically, intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally. She is a dynamo. And I don't want a man swimming against her in the pool. Damn. The fact is, I don't want her playing against boys in soccer. I don't even let my sons rough her up. Do you think I'm going to let your son rough her up? Hell no. This is what we're talking about. Policy going back to the parents. Because if you think people who love America are willing to fight for it, you haven't met parents yet. Because I'm telling you, parents will go further down any street than anyone who loves their country alone. Man, I wish I could have got this guy's name, uh, but they chopped it off. I'll tell you what, I, could, I, can't, I can't compete with that. That guy, is he gets it. He gets it. And I'm sure where this guy's coming from is the views of a lot of parents in this United States of America. This guy gets it. He knows how to articulate it. He's coming in hard. Uh, these are the kind of people. Let's put this guy on the school board. He seems to understand what's going on. He gets it. And I think there's a wave of this going across the country. And I think you're going to be seeing a lot more of this coming up. And I think it's, it's going to trickle over 
the way that the mass mandates and everything that's been handled, the way that these transgender athletes are competing at collegiate levels for world championships, and you've got a biological male swimming against female, blowing the records out of the water and getting scholarships based on that and, and bumping born females out of the running for scholarships, et cetera, or to proceed into the finals into the next round because they're, they're competing against male athletes. All of this nonsense, all of this bullshit. Yes, I'm going to call it bullshit. I don't care. It's not fair. And I have a problem when things are not fair. I don't care about you being transgender. I don't be care if you want to dress like Betty Boop. I don't give a fuck about that. But I do give a crap about when things are not fair, especially on the collegiate level, when you have a female, a born female athlete that has been training their entire life and you're knocking them out because you want to put on a one-piece bathing suit and compete against the girls, first off, you should be ashamed of yourself because you know you have an unfair advantage. And I kind of question your ethics and your moral code on that alone, just on the, the fairness of competition. But it's not right. It's not right. This guy gets it. I wish I had his name because this guy gets parent of the month award, in my opinion, and he's nailing it down and he's going, now you get into the whole CRT thing. The guy, I don't know, to me, if I was to pull out Biden's color chart, he falls between, uh, I don't know. He's, he's, he's darker than me. I don't know what he is. He said he's, he's mixed. I don't care. I don't care what he is. What I care about is the words that's coming out of his mouth. And he's speaking on the, that, that critical race theory. Where if you have a black neighbor on one side, and you have a white neighbor on on one side, the critical race theory teaches you the the bottom principle is that the black neighbor is oppressed and the white neighbor is evil, is the oppressor. Okay, maybe we won't go as far as saying evil, but the white person is the oppressor and the black person is the oppressed, and that is not that is not a fair view to view people. You know, and what he's saying about racism is in the government, it's in the schools. And it's in the media. I agree with that too. I don't see a lot. Now I, okay. But Jake, you're, yeah, there are racists out there. I get it. I get it. There are races out there, but let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. How many racists are you coming in contact in your daily life? Now I know I'm not qualified to speak on this because I'm white as fucking snow white and the seven dwarfs. I'm not allowed to say dwarfs, but I'm going to say it anyways. I don't see it. And I used to see it. I used to see it from a different perspective where the way that I would see it is I would see it in the back doors when minorities weren't around. I was working for companies in the early nineties and stuff. You know, I would see it when it was a boardroom or the controlling officers of a company that were all white when they'd sit in the back room and they'd make these little racial slide remarks towards people of color in the company. And it didn't happen too often, but I did see it happen. I don't see that happening anymore. I think at worst, people know better. You know what I mean? And I say at worst because they shouldn't just, they should, people shouldn't be racist or make racist slide remarks or do those things. Um, because it's not politically, uh, uh, it's, it's not politically correct. That shouldn't be the reason. The reason should be, is that you don't believe in viewing somebody different based on the, the color of their skin. So at worst, if it's because that they know it's not appropriate in the workplace and they could lose their job, so be it. If that's where they're more, if that's what dictates their moral compass, they need to have a change of heart. I can tell you that they need to have a change of heart, but I don't see it that often. And I definitely don't see it in the younger generations. And to bring all this critical race theory into children, children who are literally colorblind at the preschool, kindergarten, and all those young ages, I don't agree with it. 
I don't agree that we should impart racial thoughts, racial-based thinking into young people at that age, at least. Now, if you want to take college classes on the history of what's gone on in America and the inequalities that have been out there, there's a time and a place for everything. I don't think grade school is the place for that. High school, maybe we can start getting into it a little bit. But there's a time and a place for everything. This guy, I'll vote for this guy for president. Uh, he's, he's, he's saying more common sense than I've heard coming out of Biden's mouth. That's for damn sure. Well, Jake, you're, you're not allowed to have an opinion on this. You're, you're a white male. You're not allowed to speak on this. You need to keep your mouth shut. Ah, bullshit. I don't have any corporate sponsors on this show. There's not one advertiser on this show. I don't make a penny off this show, and I can give my opinion and say what I want. You know what you could do? You can turn it off. You can you can you can listen to something else. You can listen to somebody else that does have major corporate sponsors that has to make sure that they clean their mouth and just say what is appropriate at all times. And I believe what I'm saying is appropriate. It is appropriate. It needs to be said. But yeah, but you're white. You can't. I don't give a shit. I I don't give a shit. Common sense has to come out somewhere, and you can't silence common sense based on the color of somebody's skin. That alone is racist. So you want to get into racist stuff? Okay, whatever. All right, so there we have a couple stories of some parents standing up doing some great things. We have some Levi CEOs standing up doing some great things. We have the San Francisco community voting out corrupt board members. But that doesn't stop the fact that there's still some shady stuff going on. And we need to address it. We need to we need to see what's going on so we know what to stand up against. Now, there is a school. I can't. Let me see. Let me see if I can find out where the school is from. Um, students at Westchester ASD. I'm not too sure where that's at. You guys can Google it. They have a they have. A, well, let me hit this. Maybe I can find out Westchester area SD, the official Twitter account of the Westchester area school district. Uh, it's in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, of course, it's Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is always doing some shady crap over there. But anyways, uh, the students at the Westchester ASD were given a detailed survey. Survey says inquiring about their parents' political views. Now, what does a school district? Why do they care what the parents' political views are? The questions here. Let me let me pull up some of these screenshots so I can look at this. Here's, here's question number uh, 27. To the best of your knowledge, in the most recent 2020 presidential election, who was your who was your mother most likely to vote for? Donald Trump, Joe Biden, I don't know, or other? Here's question uh, 26. To the best of your knowledge, in the most recent 2020 presidential election, who was your father most likely to vote for? Huh. Huh. If you don't live with either of your parents, to the best of your knowledge, in the most recent 2020 presidential election, <clears throat> who was your caretaker most likely to vote for? Huh. Interesting. Why do they want to know this? How about this question, number 23? To the best of your knowledge, what is your mother's political view? Left? She believes in welfare? Central government, equality, center, believes in a balance of social equality, resists large political changes. I'm sorry, I'm pausing. It's just hard to read this because these are screenshots. Is she right? Is she a traditionalist? 
and resist political change. Oh, I like how they label the right as a traditionalist that resists political change. And a left is a uh, believes in welfare, central government and equality. Like if you're right, you resist political change. To the best of your knowledge, what is your father's political view? And they ask the same questions. Is this interesting? Is this interesting that a school is wanting to know all these details about a, a student's parents? Question 19. If you answer TV in question 18, where do your parents get their news from? Is it MSNBC, CBS, CNBC, Fox News, BBC? Something else I can't read. I don't know. If your parents listen to the radio, where do the parents get their news from? BBC, NPR, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity? I don't know. These are questions that a school district is asking your students about your political beliefs. They want to know what newspapers the parents are reading. Where do they get their news? Is it the Wall Street Journal, the USA Today, New York Times, Los Angeles Times? I don't know. If your parents are online, where do they get their political views from? Is it, uh, I can't read that one, NBC, CBS, CNBC, Fox News, CNN? I don't know. Huh. I, I mean, talking about going above and beyond out out of line what what is the motivation for the for the school district to get these uh statistics these political views of the parents i know it's probably to label them as potential problems potential threats to see how many parents in their school district align with the liberal belief system or the conservative belief system they're they're feeling the water maybe Maybe this is an there there could there could be a lot of babies. Maybe this is an attempt before re-elections for school boards, et cetera, to see where things are going, to see who they need to cater to, or to identify problem, potential problem parents that are going to be a problem based on the policies that they enact in the schools. I don't know the motivation. The motivation could be a lot of things, but I'll tell you what, whatever it is, this is none of the school's business. It's not. And this is this is using the students as a tool to, to pry information about the parents. Like, if you want to know this information about the parents, send the survey to the parents. Don't be shady about it. Don't be go beyond the parents' backs, which schools have been doing all over the country. They would keep going behind parents' backs because they know what's best for your child. You don't. We're the professional. I saw this video yesterday. I wish I could find it. And it was this teacher that was standing up in front of a bunch of parents. It, was, it looked like it was a school board meeting. And this teacher was 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 slamming the audience for questioning professional teachers' uh, ways of teaching, or or just questioning professional teachers in general. And she used the analogy. She said, "She said you wouldn't go to a mechanic and question what's wrong with your car. So why do you go to teachers and question how a prof professionally trained teacher is teaching your kids?" Well, sister, you're in for a rude awakening. First off, I wouldn't take the word of any mechanic until I check things out myself. That's how I am. Okay. I hardly ever go to mechanics. In fact, I don't know when the last time. I don't think I've taken my car to a mechanic since the 1990s. We got YouTube, baby. I'm a shade tree mechanic, YouTube certified. Uh, and if I can't fix it, I get rid of the car. That's what I do. But 
for you to make the assumption that parents have no say in what you're teaching their children because you were the quote unquote professional. Nah, sorry, sister. I've seen way too many dumb teachers saying dumb, idiotic stuff uh, for you to get the professional pass. It just, it, that's not going to fly with me. That's not going to fly with a lot of others. But there's something shady going on in this school district, and they want to know all these details about parents' political belief system. And I don't know what is behind this, but I guarantee you it is not good. I got a new student a um, couple months ago, and he is constantly confusing um, my gender. Like, well, are, am I a him? miss or am I a mister? And so I've had a couple of conversations with him about it. Like, I identify as female. I go by miss. And I say that to him constantly. So today, again, he called me mister. So I pulled him aside and I said, why do you think you're getting confused about um, my gender? And he says, well, at my old school, I had a gay teacher and he went by Mr. <laughs> so I had to explain to him that um, just because I'm gay doesn't mean I'm a man. <laughs> oh, so what you're telling me is this poor kid has been so confused by dealing with so many different teachers and so many different pronouns that he can't keep it straight. All right. Fair enough. Well, whose fault is that? And first and secondly, why does why does I don't know. I just don't remember asking any teacher that I ever had who who are they or who they're fucking. I don't remember that coming up in class. I don't remember that any teacher ever telling me who they are fucking because their personal life and what they do on their own time was kind of irrelevant to me, me being educated in the classroom. That's how I remember it. You know, I, I what, what why is this in the school to begin with? I understand people want to be proud of their sexuality. I don't know. I have, I have, I, I don't, I have a problem with, uh, with teachers expressing their sexuality to students. I don't think it's a, an appropriate place, uh, to be a platform for your sexuality is in the classroom. That's me. That's old fashioned. Uh, sure. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why does whose vagina your teacher is licking? Why does that matter? Well, why does that matter in the classroom? I don't care if you strap on a dildo or not. I don't think my students care whether you do or not. Why is your sexuality being brought up in the classroom? First off, firstly, now I understand it's going to happen. Okay. So the student, and he laugh about it because he's just trying to do the right thing. He had a gay teacher before. That gay teacher was Mr., a female that was Mr., and, uh, and you're going to laugh about it? Well, you guys are the one that are clusterfucking these kids' minds to begin with, so... I don't know. It's on you. I just find it interesting, somewhat interesting. I don't know. I find it pathetic. I find it a lot of things. I don't know. Can we just clean up the classroom? Can we, can we, can we get just organized thought in the classroom? Can we get a unified direction in the classroom? Can we just stop having these just random nonsense been thrown at these kids? Like I said, you know, K through 12, that's where you establish the basics. You want to explore this other stuff? There's a time and a place to do it on the college level, maybe high school. I don't know, but I, I don't know. I'm just thinking that, you know, stuff's getting screwed up. We need to change. And something else that probably needs to be changed is our legal system because Glendale, California, here's the headline. Man arrested three times within 16 hours, Glendale police say. Is this Glendale, Arizona? Or is this Glendale, California? It's Glendale, California. Arrested three times. Now they got a picture of this guy. He looks crazy as fuck. Uh, looks a little methed up, if you know what I mean. But 
a man was arrested three times within 16 hours in Glendale. And police are blaming L.A. County's emergency $0 bail order for his repeated release. On February 13th, just after 3 a.m., Glendale police officers observed a man identified as 47-year-old James Langdon. He was pacing in a parking lot. Okay, we got to bust his ass. He's pacing in a parking lot. How dare he? Anyways, he was near the intersection of Colorado Street and Louise Street. Langdon ran out of the lot and across the crosswalk against the solid don't walk sign. How dare he? Officers say they officers say they attempted to stop Langdon for the infraction, but he fled from the officers. Officers chased him on foot, and after a brief struggle, uh, the brief was the brief struggle the run. I don't know. After a brief struggle, they detained Langdon for the violation. He was then arrested for obstruction of justice because he ran away from the police. According to a statement from the Glendale police, before Langdon was arrested, he requested medical attention was transported to the hospital. He was then issued a notice to appear in court at a later date and released at the hospital. Later that morning, around 9.30 a.m., Glendale officers responded to a business on the 1400 block of East Chevy Chase Drive after receiving reports of a man, once again, the ominous Langdon. Once officers arrived on the scene, they, lo they located Langdon, who was trying to enter a closed part of the business. Langdon was then arrested and booked for trespassing. According to the police, due to L.A. County's emergency $0 bail order, Langdon was released from custody within three hours of being booked. Later that day, later that day, around 7 p.m., Glendale officers responded to an apartment building on the 600 block of Balboa Avenue regarding a burglary. Oh, he upped his ante. I guess after twice figuring he can get away with anything and just get back on the streets. Uh, the crosswalk thing was a little much, but whatever. Anyways, residents told officers they arrived at home to find their doors open with several items displaced. Officers arrived on the scene and located Langdon walking through the building's hallway. Once Langdon noticed the officers, he ran again into the victim's apartment, which was unoccupied, and barricaded himself inside, according to police. Burbank police canine units were brought in, as well as negotiators attempting to have Langdon safely exit the building. Langdon kept refusing to exit, so officers made entry into the apartment where they continued negotiations with him. Shortly after, Langdon voluntarily exited the bedroom. He had been barricaded himself in and was arrested without incident. The police department says Langdon caused an estimated $6,000 in property damage to the victim's apartment and to the apartment complex. He was arrested and booked for burglary and felony vandalism, and he finally remains in custody on a $150,000 bail. So third time's a charm. Mr. Langdon, Mr. He looks very interesting in this photo. I don't know if this is his booking photo or his Tinder photo, uh, but he looks pretty methed up. You know, very, very uh, methy. Methy. Meth, meth. I can't say meth enough. Anyways, this is Jake. If you have any questions, comments, email me at jake at radiounderland.com. Like, share, subscribe to the show, send it around to your liberal friends, your conservative friends, your moderate friends. Let's get on the same page of logic. Let's stand up to the tyranny that is sweeping the country. And uh, yeah, that's it. You guys have a good weekend. Today's Friday. It's going to be a nice weekend. Go have fun and be good humans. 
Talk to you later. Bye.